Good morning. Welcome to services here at Graceview. Most gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your promise to always be with us, and we thank you for your presence with us right now in this worship service. Father, today we give you our hearts and our minds, our lives, and we ask that you come speak your words of life to us. We pray that you would deepen our understanding of, of what we are about to study and hear today. For you are a wise counselor, a perfect teacher, and faithful friend. In Jesus' name, amen. Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. We'll now have our responsive reading that comes from Psalm 14. If you're using the Pew Bible, I believe it's found on page 575. Psalm 14. I'll begin with the first verse and we'll respond through the seventh verse. To the choir master of David, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who loves, who does good. The Lord is down from They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. If you'll look in your bulletins, the Westminster Larger Catechism question, question number 72. What is justifying faith? Justifying faith is a saving grace wrought in the heart of a sinner by the Spirit and Word of God, whereby he, being convinced of his sin and misery and of the disability in himself and all other creatures to recover him out of his lost condition, not only ascendeth to the truth of the promise of the gospel, 
but receiveth and resteth upon Christ and his righteousness, therein held forth for pardon of sin and for the accepting and accounting his perfect righteousness in the sight of God for salvation. Well, good morning, saints. Good morning. And, you know, for those of you that don't have a background or in, in a liturgical tradition, some of these things we do, like the Apostles' Creed and such, are things that have been done in the church for 2,000 years. Uh, even the word Catholic in there means universal, or all Christians that have ever lived at all times. So there's a very real sense in which we consider ourselves to be Catholic, and this to be a Catholic church, while not being Roman Catholic or associated with the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, also, the word Christian, it can be applied broadly and it be, can be applied specifically. Uh, right now, we're going to have a time of confession. It'll be a time just between you and God where you further prepare your heart and mind for the rest of the service. So it's a time of silence where you're to speak to God and to bring yourself close to him, to close with God and to confess to him your, your private and particular sins. Now, people of God, we also confess to God our corporate sins, or sins as a people. Do you believe that you have fallen short of the glory of God and that you have sinned before him every day in thought, word, and deed? We do. we do. Then I declare to you what the scriptures declare, that you have been forgiven of your sins and you are restored to your God. We pray for all these things, praying the prayer that your son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
sermon in a while, so come, go ahead and come up if you'd like to, children. We're going to sit on this side, because we're pretty choired up over there today. Yeah, that is an impressive choir. That's about preaching to the choir. Let it shine, let it shine, 
thank you today for your faithfulness uh, out of your great mercies you have given us so many blessings and today uh, as we give back this offering we pray that you would use it for your kingdom and your glory that you would multiply its use and uh, we pray that it would be a great blessing to many we ask this in the powerful name of Jesus Amen gifts that you've given us, we give back this small portion 
And we pray that you would use these funds to extend your kingdom here and around the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. these days. You guys did great. There's all kinds of expressions of worship, and they go through all kinds of different levels, all the way from the song Amazing Grace to complicated expressions of worship. In the 1600s, they came up with the Baroque Orchestra, which was followed by the Classical Orchestra, which was followed by the Romantic Period, which was followed by the more modern orchestra. And God has given us such a wide variety of instrumentation and ways to approach him in worship, but he in himself is diverse. Like we went over a psalm today, and whenever we go over a heavy psalm like that, I'm a little, I'm a little hesitant, you know, not because you want to start, you know, censoring God, but, you know, it's just kind of a confrontation. Many times God is directly confrontational with us. We don't want to get the wrong impression of him, but... Sometimes he's happy to see us, and sometimes, frankly, he's not as happy. 
We're going to go through a little bit of that today. But you know, the highs and the lows are all part of the journey. It really is. And so a song like this, it's just about singing out of happiness to the Lord. And a psalm like Psalm 14 is about directly being confronted with the glory and the awesomeness of the God with whom we have to do. Uh, today, as kind of a part two to last week, we're going to be talking a bit about forgiveness. But last week was mainly about the way that we are forgiven. And today will be a little bit about how we're supposed to forgive others, right? Why don't we go ahead and pray before we get into God's word. Lord, our God and Father, you're so majestic and you overwhelm us with your awe and glory. And when we open your word, it's a, it's a direct invitation, Lord God, to a conversation with you. And so we pray that you would open our ears to be able to hear it and our hearts to be able to receive it because you are a great and awesome God. We thank you for these blessings in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's go to Luke chapter 6. Now we really are still in the Sermon on the Mount, and this isn't exactly the Sermon on the Mount. It's another sermon talking about similar subject matter. But there's a part there that he comes into in verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. In good measure, pressed down, shaken down together, and running over, will it be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So he also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into the pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck that, has, that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that's in your own? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, I know you've all heard these passages. It's really one of the favorite passages of people that aren't Christians. Harder to talk about in the church, right? There's not, I know you guys pretty well. There's not a single one of you that doesn't think of yourself as a bit of a hypocrite. And that's kind of a healthy attitude to have, isn't it? None of us think that we're perfect. Who do we think is perfect? Christ is perfect. We don't think of ourselves as saviors. We think of ourselves as saved. We don't think of ourselves as the unfallen looking down on the fallen, but the fallen looking up at a savior. And so when we get to these verses, it does give us pause. Because on the one hand, God commands us, hey, make sure you judge. And on the other hand, he commands us, make sure you don't. And frankly, it can be a little confusing, can't it? <laughs> but that last line is where he sums up. He says, First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. He does not tell us, never worry about specks in your brother's eye. He says, make sure you don't have a log in your own. Have you ever, have you ever ridden the log jam? I love to go to Disneyland, Knott's Bear Farm, all these places, and you get on the log jam, and you're riding on a log ride, and you fall sometimes, right? And I hate them, and Anna makes me go on every one of those things. But a log should be hard to miss, right? 
He's not saying once you're perfect and never ever sin again, then you can start to talk about other people's problems. There's this attitude that's come into the church where we shouldn't say anything about anything anyone else does because we got our own problems. And we're not actually allowed to do that by scripture. That's going too far. The main thing that is hypocrisy is when you're saying you're doing one thing when you're really doing something else. I'll say that again. The thing that's hypocrisy is not just recognizing right and wrong and good and evil and trying to live accordingly, but when you're saying you're living one life and you're really living another. Hypocrite is actually a term from acting, from the theater. Hippocrates, when somebody has two faces, they have one face for you and one face for the rest of their life, right? Being a sinner and recognizing what sin is is not hypocrisy. We can even go as far as to say this. It's a tough road to hoe, I know, but in your Christian faith, you have to be able to recognize that you've broken the law every day in thought, word, and deed, and still have something good to say to your neighbor. Sometimes you're going to have to tell somebody that what they're doing is wrong when you know you've been guilty of the same thing. But it doesn't make it right, and it doesn't stifle your witness of Christ. It's one thing to say, I've done the same thing, but I'm not guilty, and you've done the same thing, and you are. But it's a different thing to say, hey, I've done the same thing, and I need Jesus, and you need him too. You see how different those are? There's a place in Romans. Let's go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 3 where our salvation is clearly elucidated by the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 3 from verse 21, he wants to explain to us what our position is in Christ. But now the righteousness of God, which is really what we're talking about, has been manifested apart from the law. Now to the average Jew reading this, it might be difficult to see a righteousness of God manifested apart from the law, but that's why the Apostle Paul is saying it. He's saying, we all understand the righteousness of God expressed through the law, but what about a righteousness of God that's expressed apart from the law? And when he says the law, he's not talking about some strange laws that you don't know about. He's talking about the Ten Commandments or the two great commandments. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So he includes that there. So the entire Old Testament economy, going all the way back to Noah and Moses and everything that happened through that, is still witnessing to this other righteousness that comes from God. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So we're going to go on a little bit further in there, but let's stop and see that for a minute. Everyone who has ever come to God and become a part of his family has been saved in this way. I don't want you to get this bifurcated view of the Old Testament and the New Testament. I know that it gets a little complicated, but as you read through the Old Testament, everyone that came to God was saved by grace through faith. Everyone in the new covenant also that comes to God is saved by grace through faith. There's never been anybody that's been saved by the law. Adam tried that in the beginning and failed. And when Christ came, if anyone could be justified by their mere legal obedience and their perfect keeping of the law of God, it was Jesus alone. But the salvation that he might have earned, if you will, by perfect legal obedience, instead he gave that satisfaction to us and suffered the penalty of our sin so that we would live forever in Christ. So that's why he says here in verse 24, and are justified 
by his grace, are made just, are made holy, are set apart by grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Frankly, when you're talking about the gospel, this is where a lot of people get off the train. How could it be that God could just give me a salvation that I don't deserve? Don't I have to earn it? What are the things for me to do? Give me something to do to be good enough to get God's salvation. And you have to reject it. You have to say, no, there is nothing that you should do and nothing that you can do to reconcile yourself to God. It is a gift of grace and mercy. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. This word propitiation is very important. It's one of the words that rare, you know, we rarely hear because it comes from the old language, but we couldn't find a word to replace it. To propitiate means to satisfy the anger of a justified party. To propitiate means to satisfy the anger of somebody who has every right to be angry. So it's a little different than justification. It's a little different than atonement. It's a little different than any of these things. Every once in a while, the person that's angry at you has every available right to be angry. But there's something that satisfies that anger and wipes it away from us. And it's Christ himself. That's why it says, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now, I know that one of the hardest things about being a Protestant is getting down and hunkering down into this faith alone thing. We're all okay with faith, right? We're not all okay with faith alone, that our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. How can we just believe and be justified? You know what? Here's one thing that might help with this. It's not as important that you comprehend and analyze and understand every bit of it is that you understand that the Apostle Paul just wrote it. We have to know that it's true. Understanding sometimes follows. But he has just said that it's by faith. The propitiation was by faith. The salvation is by faith. The coming into God's family is by faith. It's by believing. To be received by faith. And then he says, why? Why is it done this way? This was to show God's righteousness. So here's the thing. We want to have the righteousness of God and have enough righteousness to earn some kind of a relationship with God. But he says plainly here, God did it not to show your righteousness. God saved you this way to show his righteousness. If there's somebody whose righteousness is going to be preserved in this process of salvation, isn't it more important that it's God's than that it's ours? So he says why he did it. God did it to preserve and show his righteousness because in the divine forbearance, forbear means his patience. He is not carrying out the punishment that he could and that he had every right to do. In the divine patience, he had passed over the former sins, waiting for this moment when he was going to reconcile all things in his son, Jesus Christ. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So just and the justifier are two different things. God was not going to do anything that made him guilty of our sins, right? He was going to maintain his justice. And so the entire economy of salvation is set up in such a way as for God to maintain his own justice because he's not going to 
compromise that and to justify and to make just those who have faith in Christ. A lot of people have this view of God that why doesn't God just throw out the sins? Why doesn't he just forgive everybody? As if he can just do that, right? Without compromising his own sense of values, right? We all have our own sense of values. We have our sense of honor. We have our things we think are right and our things we think are wrong. Well, doesn't God get that option? And he doesn't want to compromise himself even to save us. So he found a way. He found a secret. The reason I call it a secret is because sometimes Scripture calls it a secret. It calls it a mystery, not made known until the present, right? When all the way from the beginning, all the way back when sin came into the world, when men fell into sin, from that time he's been working out our salvation until the time of the coming of Christ to bring us back to real life from a real death. And when we understand this, we start to understand what he's saying in Luke 6. We start to understand the incredible lack of right that we have to hold people's sins against them. What did you do to earn your salvation? Well, if it's something, you've always got a little bit of a right to hold something even against God. But if you did nothing, if you came empty and naked and bloody and dirty with nothing in your hands and you really understand your condition that you were in when you came to the cross, you understand it's just a gift of grace and that your entire disposition to the others around you should be to hand off that same grace as often as possible, right? That's what changes the person. What changes the person isn't that, I used to be a lawbreaker and now I'm a law keeper. I know y'all, you're not that great of law keepers as you think you are, right? But what we do have now is we know we've been saved by mercy and grace alone, and there really isn't anything that great about us, but we serve a great God. And now in our interactions with people, we can give them grace. What we've been given, we just want to give it away. As one pastor I know said, we're just beggars telling other people where to find bread. In that, you can walk that interesting line that Jesus gives us between knowing that you're a sinner and being able to call people to repentance so that they too can have faith in God without being a hypocrite in any way. The hypocrisy that the world sees, it's real. And it happens in churches all the time. And it happens in Christians all the time. But you need to be able to communicate to them in good conscience your ability to identify my sins and my hypocrisy will not save you a single bit on the day of judgment. You need Christ as much as I do. We all need him together. And so close with God. Come into his covenant. Become part of the people of God. Those things that you've been doing in the past, leave them in the past. Those things that you want to do in the future, carry them with you into the future. So one of the things he says in chapter 6, verse 27 is, I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. The one who strikes you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish... 
that on others would do to you, so do to them. So what he's basically saying is you got to love folks. you got to love your enemy. Now here's the thing. He's not talking about people you don't know that are enemies in far off places. He's talking about enemies close up that you've already identified as an enemy. He's talking about dealing with people that actually cost you something, not far off people that really cost you nothing. And he's asking for a change in attitude correspondent to the fact that you understand your salvation. Amen? Let's pray. Lord our God, you have given us such a great gift in salvation. We pray, Lord God, that you would just help us to apprehend it, to just reach out and receive it, to eat it, Lord God, and have it go down into our blood and our bones that we have been saved by an alien righteousness, that we deserve nothing and you have given us everything. And in that, we have peace. We have peace with you and we will strive every day for peace with each other. We will be zealous forgivers looking for opportunities to forgive because you were zealous for our salvation. We thank you for these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please rise as we sing number six in your hymnal. and then I'm also going to pray for the fellowship meal that we have in there. If you didn't bring anything or you're new here, please come in. We always have way more food than we can eat. Well, not all of us, but most of us. May the Lord your God bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and may he give you peace. Amen. Lord our God and Father, for this great bounty that you've given us, we thank you for this food and for this time of fellowship together, Lord God. Let us look into each other's eyes and find the recognition that we are in Christ. And so we have a share in each other and in your family. Let us thank you for these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
that big slip and slide? Yeah. I bet you did. I got, I got, I got Thank you.